Hello, and thank you so much for tuning into the Education Burrito, podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q-Sum, and each episode I'll be joined by special guests as we unwrap the Education Burrito. I'm super excited to be joined in this episode by someone who by day are really into computer stuff. Well, more so with virtual reality, artificial intelligence and other stuff. And I'm sitting here and I feel so technology-ness compared to this person's room at the moment. Anyhow, this person also previously managed to settle enterprises so they actually know a thing or two. They used to also wear a lot of hats, though I've never seen them with a hat. So I'm not quite sure if that's true. They also have a YouTube channel documenting their super awesome video work stuff. And this stuff is too big to mention. And more recently, through lockdown, it seems they're very much into pancakes as well. Yes, you heard it right, pancakes. I don't know about that. I don't know if they're eating pancakes right now, but we'll find out. If that got you thinking, they very much like to spend their day at their logo zoo during meeting from time to time. Hope you can guess who my special guest is for today. It's the one and only Dr. Chris Hidland. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. I, <laughs> when I was just doing induction, you're frantically looking for a hat in your room. <laughs> no, I've got my uh, conference hat under the desk, which... Uh, now, I, I was given some advice by one of my mentors a, a few years ago that said, um, when you go to conferences, you know, there's a lot of people there and people always struggle to remember... And they'll say, oh, well, it was, it was the guy in the blue shirt or, you know. So if you've got something memorable, then that's what they'll focus on. You, you don't want to remember the, the person who tripped over on the stage or dropped their pencil or something like that. So if you kind of pick something wacky, like I always wear a cowboy hat at conferences, you kind of dictate that narrative and you kind of say, you know, oh, Chris Hedlund, he's the guy who wears the cowboy hat. I, I, I dictate how people remember me. Do you always wear the whole outfit as a cowboy, though? No, 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 just the cowboy hat. Um, and, and since I've moved to Lincoln, I've, I've had that cowboy hat at every single conference. Ah, oh, brilliant. Next time I need to really remember that and spot you from afar. But let's just get us started off then. What one interesting have you done recently? Oh, loads of stuff. I mean, we're, uh, I think all universities are in the same position at the moment where we are preparing for next year's teaching. And obviously the, the environment's slightly different. So we're strategies to try and um, enhance student experience. I think the, the temporary privet online that we did before, that there, there were some engagement issues. I think lots of people learned from that. And so I've been really quite enjoying that planning. I've also been trying to give people kind of a, a taste of the Lincoln experience. So we've created a virtual uh, Lincoln campus as a, as a pirate island. I've been doing uh, a bit of virtual reality research. I'm, I'm developing a couple of games at the moment and uh, write a book. So it's been, yeah, it's been quite a busy few months. Wow. I mean, pirate hat now, right? Have you got a pirate hat? <laughs> I do, but it's stuck in my office. Um, so oh. no, I, I, do a, I do a video games live stream with my students where I play Sea of Thieves and they come online and, and we, do, we do a bit of kind of pastoral engagement through this video games live stream. I quite often wear a pirate hat and, and a bandana for that. So yeah, if you have a look at my, my YouTube, there's, there's plenty of videos of me uh, dressed for, from, from the neck up dressed as a pirate. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, right, let's just get, get stuck into the things that you're doing, actually. So virtual reality and gamification. So the thing that I really want to chat to you about and just to know a bit more is, do games, technologies have a place in higher education? I think it depends on who you ask, right? It's, 
I like to say so. When we're very young, we learn a lot through play. We learn a lot through games. And actually, that's not exclusive to people. That's, you know, animals. And, you know, if you ever watch puppies learning interaction, they learn through play. Now, we slowly kind of strip that away as we go through the educational system. You know, in, in primary school, we do a lot of gamified learning. I mean, I think almost everybody's seen the building blocks that have the alphabet on them and, and things like that. We, we do a lot of learning through play. And I think we learn naturally through playing in other kind of games that we do ourselves. So, you know, you play football and you're learning about teamwork and leadership and, and so on. Or you're, you're kind of creating narratives and fantasy games. You know, you're playing pretend and you're learning about creativity and structure. And, but as we go through, I think we start looking at things that are fun as being not serious. And we start looking at things that are fun as, as having, you know, that, that's something that kids do it because it's jovial. It has no place in, in education. And the further down the educational system you go, the less gamified, and I say gamified rather gamification, and less play that we see in learning. So I, I try and do bits. I do some. I've been doing uh, various talks and posts on how you can embed a bit of gamified learning into your strategies. And I think it will develop more, right? I do absolutely do think they've got a place in higher education. I think we need to facilitate various different ways of learning. Games are one way that people can learn. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I'm not into gaming myself that much. But how did you first got involved into this work? Did you just wake up one morning and saying, I want to do this? So you just went on to study that at university and then just did that? No. So... Okay, a little known fact about me. My undergraduate degree isn't in computer science. So I actually trained as a, as a DT teacher. I trained to teach, you know, woodwork and metalwork and stuff in secondary schools. I actually ended up going back to university to do a master's in computer science and my PhD is in computer science. I think I first kind of caught on to using games when I, I was teaching a, a very specific group of learners. They were on NEAT, which is not an education, employment or training project. They'd been out of education for quite some time. And using a game was a really good way of holding their attention and holding their engagement because they weren't particularly familiar with, with standard teaching methods. But everybody's familiar with games, you know, whether we, we like to admit it or not. And over time, I've been trying to embed more and more playful engagements in the way I teach. And it's all success-driven, right? We, if we do a project, a, you know, a student engagement project, and things go well, we say, oh, okay, well, let's see what more of this we can do. If things go badly, you reflect and potentially change your practice. I've never had a games-based project go badly. And actually, I'm always amazed that I always get a much better response than I ever expect. So that's why it's such a core part of my teaching philosophy, I suppose. No, that's interesting that you came from a DT background. I think I, I never knew that. And now we're kind of learning something new about you, Chris. But it's wonderful. I think DT is kind of somewhat similar to computer, but what influences your work, the work that you do? I think everything's similar to, you know, I mean, I've always been interested in building stuff. Cook, I'm, I'm very into my cooking. Anybody who's what follows my Twitter knows I, I do a lot of cooking. I'm really into that. But ultimately, I'm, I'm interested in how things come together, the logic of process that results in output. The fact that you can take lemon, add sugar and produce something, a very different flavor profile by the mix that some is being greater than its parts. So I think all of that, my interest is in building stuff. Code is just another building block I can play with to create something, right? I like to think they're related at least. I don't think my journey has been that weird. There's quite a lot of people who've come into computer science from other fields. A lot of psychologists in computer science departments, designers, you know, obviously DTI, my degree was in product design with, with education. So yeah, I, th I think these things add to your ongoing story. So if we talk about students then, I mean, our podcast is all about student engagement and learning and teaching. How do you ensure your students are engaged 
in your classes through you no know, virtual reality and all the computer stuff. Stuff is a quite broad word, I know, but <laughs> I do hope you can help narrow that. <laughs> no, no, no. Computer stuff is, is probably a good description of my job, right? It's one of the things that I remember from my undergraduate degree, actually, which, which wasn't in, like I say, it was a teaching degree, you know, in, in DT. We, we had an invited talk by this person who was talking about this concept called student-centred learning, which means putting the student at the centre of every part of the process. And there's various different kind of ways to package that, you know, this idea of students being a consuming agent where you are delivering knowledge to them. And student-centered teaching and learning, it means you facilitating discussion, questions. But I mean, a big part of what I do to ensure things work well and to keep students engaged is I ask them, you know, I, I think regular feedback. I do quite a lot of things like LFM, so lightweight feedback mechanisms. So I get per lecture feedback. Is this going well? Is it not? I involve students in the design of my modules. Not as experts, you know, I'm the expert, you know, I'm the person who has the knowledge to deliver, but students are experts in their own learning. You know, I remember how I learned, I remember how I went to university, but when I was at university as an undergrad, people were still using chalkboards, right? And things have changed. And the biggest part of that changes is, is actually that the students experience before university. You know, when I was in high school, for example, school had one computer. When I was in primary school, I, I was the only student in my entire school who had a home PC. Now, almost everyone's got a different connection. The, the political landscape's changed a lot. Students are coming in with a very different life experience. And if you don't ask them, if you assume that you, the way that you like to learn is the way that they will want to learn, you're going to get that wrong all the time. Um, by keeping them in the loop, you make your own life easier and you help keep those students engaged. Yes, that's brilliant. How about virtual reality then? Do you get students, I mean, you do a lot with your students. Do students come up with the project? Do you work with them in a staff-student partnership to engage them that way? Or do you just let them have fun with it and play it in class? It, it depends, right? So I've done a few projects, mostly at the pastoral end of the spectrum, actually. So most of them start with a conversation. So we did this uh, little TV series called Star and VR. We basically, for anybody who's familiar with Top Gear, Star and Reasonably Priced Car, it's an interview series where you get somebody to do a race around a track and you use that as a framing device for a discussion. You use that as a framing device for, for an interview. So I was sat down with some students once and, you know, they, they said, oh, I don't, I don't know how to do, I can't remember, it might, might be maths or something like that. And you know, I said, oh, well, why haven't you gone to speak to this support department? Didn't realize it was there. I'm like, oh, okay, that surprises me. And they didn't understand quite a lot of who the faces in their university were. So the easiest way that I could think to do that was ask them, how can we package that information up? How can we deliver that to you? And said, oh, well, some interviews would be good or this, that, the other. We, we kind of had this backwards and forwards kind of, I suppose you call it co-creation really, but it was a discussion. And the end, we decided to, to make a silly TV series where people did a virtual reality race around a track. And we did that as an interview, which students led. They collected the questions. They decided who they wanted to interview. They promoted it. I literally just facilitated with equipment and, and provided them with the structure and the training to, to make that a success. Things like Lincoln Island have been very different. It's again, really more of a pastoral project, but that the idea grew quite naturally, but it still grew from student need. We started off by building a couple of campus buildings in a space. Then as we went into lockdown, we saw lots of students saying we missed the campus. So we said, well, can we make this in a way that's more meaningful? So we engaged students on a different level. The engagement was still there. And when we got students to help us design 
non-player characters in the game so ai characters that wander around based on those students so we get them to give them their own personalities and, and things like that so they're evolving the, the development of that but it, it all depends on the need it all depends on where you're starting from right and adapting your your teaching approach and adapting your your kind of student engagement approach to need some of that is staff led and student facilitated some of it's staff facilitated and student led being flexible and, and having that ability to adapt is really important. So if we can talk about a bit about your pirate project then, do your students like it? I mean, from what you've just mentioned, they really do miss that interaction and the whole networking, I guess, with all of us, we do miss working with people and seeing with people. But what do your students like, think or feel about it? It's an interesting one. So the, the feedback's been really good. Um, it's got really good rating on the Microsoft Store and, and things like that. If anyone wants to have a look, it's, it's called Lincoln Island. If you just type into the search Microsoft Store, it comes up quite high. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, I keep saying this, a university isn't its buildings. A university is its people, its philosophy, its approach. The buildings still play a part in that experience. And anybody who says, oh, no, I don't agree with that, you can just take a university and stick it anywhere. It, it's, it's not true. Anybody who's been to a university always knows that there is a space that all the students go to take their photograph with their thesis when they get to the end. There's somewhere in front of a crest or there's a bridge or something. And every single time we see students graduate and you're smiling because I'm sure you know what your spot is on your campus. Yes. <laughs> there, there's that spot where they take that photo. There is the cafe that everyone goes to. There's the fact that you know that if you turn up at the cafeteria at 3.30, they're selling off all the sandwiches for cheap. You know, there, there's eccentricities around a campus. Like Lincoln, we've, we've got swans everywhere and, and, you know, and the swans become a big part of the experience. We then a level crossing, which, you know, a general rule about the level crossing is it will drop if you've got a meeting to get to and you're in a rush, right? So there's things about that experience that make Lincoln what it is. And it's, you know, Nottingham, they've got this, this massive lake in the middle of campus, which is part of their experience. You know, people go there. Bangor, uh, where I was previously, there's a road called Love Lane. And there's, you know, there's a sign at the bottom saying Love Lane. And, and all the couples will at some point have a Facebook photo of them both standing at Love Lane. So the idea behind Lincoln Island was to try and capture some of that experience and actually give people uh, an opportunity to laugh and walk around some familiar spaces and you know, recognise how that has been captured. So you could still capture a little bit of the university experience, the university ethos from home. So yeah, it's been really good. It's been, the, the feedback's been really positive. We've done some projects that we didn't expect to do with it. I've given tours to prospective students using Lincoln Island because I can log into the video game. I can do a live stream. I can walk them around. I can send them some photos and things like that. But it's not the same as saying, look, it actually, it takes you about 10 minutes to walk to lectures. This is what it's like. If you've got a bit of time, you can get some breakfast here. Uh, this place sells Krispy Kremes, which is, you know, is good on the way. It's different. And actually being able to bring some of that experience back, I think it's been really valuable. No, that's brilliant. I think when I went into Lincoln, the only thing, well, there's two things I'll always remember are the, the swans that you've mentioned, but also that gigantic yellow rubber duck <laughs> on the student union balcony. That's kind of my most memorable thing. The swans are the, it's bright yellow. You cannot miss it. <laughs> Yeah, the quack duck yeah. is, is kind of the, the mascot of, uh, of one of our student union nights out. It's, it's famous, right? It, it's such a very specific part of the landscape. <laughs> Do you have that duck in your house? <laughs> no, but um, so one thing they do, if you go to the, the quack night, you can get these. I mean, I, I can't go because, well, I don't know, maybe I can go, but I wouldn't go because I'm a member of staff, right? It's, it's, but sometimes you can get these little quack ducks. 
Uh, they're like little bath ducks, which look like the quack duck. And uh, over summer, they've been doing um, remote activities. They've been doing some like some quack at home kind of uh, kits. And I, I bought one of these kits. Uh, it had some VKs and it also had a quack duck, like a little bath quack duck, which has become my son's like bath time buddy. He kind of like, he plays with this duck in his bath. So he's, he's yeah, I'm really pleased with that. <laughs> no, that's brilliant to hear. So if we go back to the, to the project that you've done with your students then, you've mentioned lots of benefits, you know, just bringing the students closer, reminding them about the university, the campus life, right? But what are the risks that can bring into the educational spaces? Oh, honestly, I don't really think there are many risks in engaging students. I mean, there's, I think there's a right way to engage and there's a wrong way to engage. Like I say, I, I think sometimes student engagement activities can be pitched wrong. I've seen student engagement projects, which I think have been on, on the kind of almost the exploitative end of, of student engagement. And I think there's sometimes that you can be unfair with students. If you place them in a co-creation space, for example, and say, help me design this module, the student doesn't have necessarily the, the expertise to do that uh, unless you train them, unless you support them to do it. And that can cause its own stresses and you can actually disengage students by trying to re-engage them too much. You know, when I do video gaming stuff with my students, I start with a question of what games are you playing at the moment? What, what's, what's cool? What's interesting? Because I know nothing will make something not cool like me telling people it's cool. I think as long as you frame the students at the centre, I think as long as you maintain that reflection and maintain that dialogue and maintain that conversation, I can't think of many risks in the way of engaging students. I think an engaged student is easier to teach. I think an engaged student tends to be happier. I think they tend to have a better university experience. I don't think there's any disadvantages of engagement, but I think there are ways that you can do engagement projects wrong. Mm, definitely a lot to think about for our listeners when they're thinking about um, you know, doing student engagement projects. So I think that leads on to quite nicely to the next question that I have. Those people who might be feeling a bit less confident uh, in getting started with any student engagement projects or even developing another island of themselves, what would be your top tips to getting started? So Chris's top tips. Okay, that's an interesting question. So, and it would differ based on who asked me. I mean, one of the big things is building uh, a video game the way I did is expensive, very expensive because I mean, I was looking, I was, I was kind of on leave at the time and I was doing it as a fun personal project and that's how it started. But realistically, there's probably about a thousand hours worth of development in total because there's a few of us working on it. Now for an institution to actually dedicate that staff time, that's, that's expensive. There's also the, and there's an expertise expense. I'm a professional video games developer. I own a video games company. I teach on a video games course. I have many years of experience that, is, that has a value. Now, if, for example, we were to ask, if I was to just design a Lincoln Island and ask a video games company to develop it, it would cost a fortune. And absolutely, it would be very, very expensive. So that's the first thing I would say is actually, can you afford to implement it? And if you can't look at other ways that you can do this, I mean, things like, you can build some, some good environments and things like Minecraft, for example, or Roblox or, or things like that. The second thing I would say is always start with the fun. I think too often when we try and use games in education, we try and start with the educational message and try and shoehorn fun into that somewhere. And ultimately what we come up with is, is a diluted educational message and something that isn't very fun. 
and that that doesn't achieve anything. It's, it's this kind of form follows function, function follows form philosophy. I think actually you need to start with the game. You need to make a good game. You need to make sure that works. You need to make sure those practices work and make sure that is engaging and fun to play. And the only way you do that is by letting students play it, making it accessible, making, you know, getting feedback regularly. And I suppose the, the last thing I would say is make sure you've got a good team around you. I'm very lucky at Lincoln in so much as I can do this project. I can say, look, I, I want to spend some time building a video game. I think it'll be good for student engagement. And I'm lucky that I have a very, uh, I'm, I'm in a very innovative environment. Lincoln is known nationally and internationally for its student engagement activities. So that wasn't really a hard sell for me. I've got a very supportive leadership team who give me the space and capacity to do that and, and the help where I need it. Knowing that teams around you, and I'm not talk, just talking about academics, I'm talking about your leadership, your professional services team. Professional services provided so much into that Lincoln Island project. Like I got pictures from the estates department. The library service were very keen. They, they had a lot of characters in there. Careers team helped out a lot. The marketing team helped me actually get it to the students, which is hard when everyone's in lockdown, right? So yeah, that, that's it. Make sure you can afford it. Make sure you've got the, the right team around you and make sure that there's kind of capacity to, to be able to, to deliver it. There's lots of good tips there, Chris. And if we are looking ahead into the future, then how do you think your work will evolve in the higher education, knowing all the changes that we are experiencing at the moment? And That's hard to say because, OK, nobody wants to look on the, 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 the silver lining of a pandemic, right? That, that's really kind of insensitive to the, the pressure, the strain and, and all the challenges that people have had. I think you need to be... Um, responsible on that front however one thing that this change environment has done is is caused everybody to radically rethink their teaching radically rethink their strategies and there's been a lot of really great practice developed during this time i think it's fair to say students have wanted more flexibility they've wanted more things online they've wanted more access to to a range of materials and social media and and, and that kind of stuff we've been forced to do that so me as a director of teaching and learning and me as an academic, the, the big thing that's going to be changing for me is I'm going to be trying promoting and ensuring that we hold on to some of this good practice. Because eventually, you know, we have to hope that there will be a, a vaccine release and we have to hope that will be experiences will, will change and will move back to something like normality. But this, there is going to be a new normal. It's not going to go back exactly the way it was. And, and I think the, the big change for me is making sure that we hold on to some of that stuff. So I, I'm going to be looking at a lot more at asynchronous learning. I'm going to be looking more at uh, flip strategies. I'm going to be making sure uh, more peripheral content, doing things like more collaborative engagements, more discussion, trying to to make sure students have a suite of things. And I, I think the kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for me is a student who can come in and say, I don't have to adapt my learning to match the teaching. I can adapt my environment to match the way I need to learn. I think that's where I'm trying to get things at the moment. So I'm doing lots of things about investigating new technologies, new strategies, new new methods. And I'm talking a lot about that on, on Pedagogy and Pancakes, which is um, our, my seminar series. Oh, that's brilliant. I think for this episode then, let's end with a fun part. A quick, short firing round for our listeners to know you a bit more. It's a list of questions, random questions that I may have found. Okay, cool. Uh, relevant to you. We'll see how it goes. Nothing nothing too hard so are you ready yeah go for it so the first question is if you are to pick one learning and or teaching platform what would it be youtube 
three words to describe yourself as an educator innovative creative mad 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 and bad uh, <laughs> reflective how's that <laughs> uh, okay what do you do to recharge yourself after a long stressful day at work oh i dabble with my five-month-old baby boy we, we play some games either that or i i cook dinner i, I like to say i love my cookings this might be an, a trickier one then this next question is other than your phone what would be the one best thing to carry around to show students and or colleagues in corridors oh my camera that's a separate thing to your phone right like a proper camera yeah, yeah, yeah. no an actual camera so it'd be my camera or or my vr headset but what would you connect that to although not in lockdown because you have to wipe <laughs> it down oh it's it's mobile it's a self-contained device fair enough what are your favorite hashtags pedagogy pancakes teaching and learning student engagement favorite drink so i've been <laughs> if we're talking about al- alcoholic drink during lockdown i've been developing a cocktail called the quarantini which is delicious a mango rubicon with a uh, an aged spiced rum and fritz of lime and it's it's very nice if we're talking about non-alcoholic drinks then i would probably say I'm known for my energy drinks. Everyone keeps saying I'm drinking too many of them. Um, so probably Orange Monster. Chills to perfection. For anyone listening this podcast, we now know what Chris likes to drink. So uh, write those down. Quarantinis and, and orange, uh, orange Monster, yeah. Neon or glitter? Neon. Mainly because I've got neon lights like everywhere. Definitely. Sourdough or pancakes? Oh, I've put those two together. I love a sourdough pancake. Have you made one before? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I, I make, it's one of my favourite lunches. So you, you take your, your sourdough starter, you um, add some sesame seeds, a little rosemary, a little salt, throw it into a pan, quite a high heat, sear one side, then put things like crumbled bacon, a little bit of feta cheese, flip it over, delicimo. Are you sure you're not a secret chef on the side? <laughs> I, I get very excited about food, right? <laughs> we can tell, we can tell. Pocket watch or wrist watch? Oh, so I've been thinking a lot of the moment. I've been trying to figure out whether I can pull off for a pocket watch. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I don't, I've got an Apple watch, right? I've got a wrist watch, but I don't wear it very often. Uh, but I really like the idea. I think everyone needs like an eccentricity. And I think, I, I, you know what? Could I pull off a pocket watch? And I've been slowly convinced by, um, by one of my colleagues, Colin Turner, that no, pocket watches are cool. So I'm, I'm going to get one. Where would you put your pocket watch, though? In my pocket. Always. Well, do you always I, I don't know how people survive without <laughs> pockets. Mine are always full of stuff. I mean, I've got scissors in my pocket now. I mean, that's, re- that's really bad practice, okay. but I, I do have things in my pocket. Random. <laughs> Invisibility or super strength? I would say... Oh, I would say invisibility because that would allow me to get into the kitchens of some of my favourite restaurants and and find out some of the the secret ingredients they're using. (laughs) Banjo or ukulele? I really want a banjo. I've got a a range of guitars on on my wall and I really want a banjo because, I don't know, ding, 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 it's just cool. Whereas ukulele is like a baby guitar, right? Well, well, I wasn't quite sure which was your favourite, so we'll just throw it out there. <laughs> your favourite music genre? Ooh, it would probably be between kind of early 2000 hip-hop 
or late 80s metal. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of things like uh, ACDC, but I mean, one of the albums I'll still listen to, like Back and Forth, is like the original Slim Shady EP. So yeah, no, I, I, I quite, quite like a range of music. White water kayaking or white water rafting? White water kayaking. White water rafting is soft, dripping down a lake on a pool noodle. Kayaking is, is where real activity happens. If you could teleport right now, where would you go? Um, Loire, France. I really like, so that Loire is this region in France that produces some of the best wines in the world. Everyone talks about champagne, but I think the, the, the sparkling wine in Loire is, is far superior. So no, I quite like every now and again going out to Loire and, and, and sitting on poolside with a, a bottle of um, or something like Aix Noir or something, yeah. Very fruity. With a pancake on the side. Well, in, in ooh, no, in France it has to be mules fritz or um, or a nice mussels and chips, definitely, or a baguette and some cheese. Okay, brilliant. Who's your favourite learning and teaching hero? Oh gosh, there's so many. Oh, that would be so hard to say. I mean, I'm I'm really fortunate to work with Liz Mossop, who's just fantastic. Sue Beckingham's brilliant. You know, when I grow up, I want to be a Sue, right? Sally Brown is is fantastic. Phil Race wrote very first kind of teaching and learn book I ever bought. I really like some of the stuff coming out of Portsmouth. So Harriet and her team do some amazing work. Colin Turner, Suzanne Faulkner. Um, oh gosh, there's so many. Yeah, uh, there's loads of people. I mean, there's people who I, I like. I really closely associate with. We do very similar things. Um, like I mean, Sue share a lot of similar interests. We've got a lot of. The game side, I share a lot of interest with people like Rachel O'Brien. Me and Sally have very similar attitudes towards uh, assessment. I, I share a lot of attitudes with Liz with regards to student participation and student engagement at different levels of governance. Julie Hume over at Keel is fantastic, just a massively inspiring individual. You know, it'd, be, it'd be hard to narrow it down and there's probably so many people who I really, really respect who I haven't mentioned. It's uh, no, a whole range of people. I'm very fortunate to have met some fantastic people on my journey. Oh, that's brilliant. And finally, then, because our podcast is called The Education Burrito, what's your favourite burrito feelings or feeling? Oh, right, okay. So if I was to order a burrito right now, I would go for a... Right, base layer's got to be... I really like rice on the base layer. Um, I don't like when people put sauce against the um, against the wrap itself. So rice down first, um, then probably um, char grilled peppers, um, followed by a little bit of um, avocado and lime, a little bit of sour cream, and some. The cheese would have to be something quite sharp and salty, like a nice cheddar or maybe like a cheddar red Leicester blend. And then in the centre, and the cheese has to go against the meat because you need the heat to start melting the cheese down. Again, it's bad when you put the cheese on the outside because the cheese doesn't melt and nobody likes solid cheese in their burritos. But yeah, right in the middle, that meat filling, um, I would say, ooh, 24-hour slow-cooked uh, smoked brisket. That would be probably what I would go for. Wow. For any of our listeners, we definitely go write that recipe down next time. <laughs> if Chris invites you out for, for lunch or something... That's what we're going to get here. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for in this episode. So if our listeners want to find out more about what you do, Chris, how can they do so? 
Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is, is on um, Twitter. I'm at Chris Hedlund, um, but also my name is also the URL for my website. So if you go on chrishedlund.com, I've got loads of stuff on there. I've got loads of hints and tips on um, using games and education, um, improving filmed learning materials. Um, I've got some strategies and I've got all the pedagogy and pancakes episodes in the back catalogue as well. So they're, they're, those are probably the best two ways to get in touch. Again, a massive thank you to you, to Dr. Chris Hedlund, for sharing with us all the things that you do and all the very best with your cooking in the future, as well as your virtual reality and gamification projects with students. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on and be sure to like it and share it on social media, tagging us at the hashtag the Education Burrito. If you have enjoyed our chat today and fancy coming onto the show, no matter as a student or member of staff, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the Education Burrito.